You're listening to Podcateers. Welcome to the Podcateers Podcast, episode 214. Hi, guys. Hey. How you guys doing? Great. It's fun to be in an intro. Yeah. Uh, these intros are always recorded so late in the evening that I always feel bad calling you up at 2 a.m. saying like, guys, guys, let's record an intro. Hey, we'll do it. But I'm so glad that we had an opportunity to just quickly get together. And uh, I mean, Gavin, you and I have continued talking about this interview since we sat down with Jared. And uh, Melissa, I know you've been super excited. We've been texting back and forth about it. Mm-hmm. What do you think you're most excited about? I'm curious to hear like how he started, like his uh, beginnings. I'm I love hearing the interviews because you get to learn a little bit more about you know s- someone in the Disney community. So for me, I've always loved interviews. So I'm pretty stoked to hear this one. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of artists that work with or for the Disney company. And Jared has this really great message in this episode about what it took for him to become one of those artists. And it's not what you would think. You know, I think really? an art, a lot of artists have this particular approach where it's like, this is what I got to do. And it's it's quite the contrary. So I think most people are going to get have a little surprise about that in general. Uh, We had a really fun conversation that spanned from being an artist that works for Disney, 2D and 3D animation, the evolution of the parks and Fantasyland to Star Wars to movies. I mean, it was a total nerd out session. That's cool. And and we didn't even record the whole thing, right, Gavin? I think we we talked for a good hour and a half before we even hit the record Mm -hmm. button, right? Yep. And then before we knew it, we had recorded two hours of material. It was yeah. crazy. Yeah, it was pretty intense. It was, I mean, Jared is such an easygoing guy. He was mm-hmm. super nice. Uh, it was great to have a chance to just sit down and, and chat with him. And I'm looking forward to having him on the podcast again. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, he, him, him being a podcaster already, he just feels comfortable behind the mic. So, you know, we all just settled into a great conversation and there was no hitches on that level. So it was great. Yeah. Yeah. To hear that you guys went two hours plus, that's a sign of a good time. Because mm-hmm. yeah. then the conversations just keep going. It's just natural. So, yeah, bring them along. Yeah. You know, uh, Gavin, for people that are not familiar with Jared Maruyama, why don't you give like a quick little intro to who Jared is? Because I know we touch on it on the podcast, but there was so much that I think we didn't get a chance to talk about. I mean, it's so weird to say that we talked about so much and yet we talked about so little. I know. We just got the tip of the iceberg. Well, Jared Mariama is a pop artist first and foremost, and he specifically does a lot of work for Disney as a freelance contractor. Now, you may not know the name Jared Mariama, but I guarantee you've seen some of his work if you're a Disney fan. Uh, He has been all over the place the last several years. So you're probably familiar with a little character called Hipster Mickey. That's Jared. You might be familiar with the Kingdom of Cute series, uh, the cute little (laughs) Disneyland, Disney World objects. Uh, That is also Jared. So you've definitely seen his work in and around the parks. Uh, He does packaging for all of the Tsum Tsum products. So he he really specializes in that Japanese uh, cute kawaii 
uh, design style. And he has just mastered his own signature look within that style. And it's brought him an, a huge fan base and a great amount of success. So it was such a pleasure and an honor to have him on the show. You know, Jared has worked for clients from Disney to Warner Brothers, from wow. Hasbro to Mattel. Mm-hmm. He's been in galleries such as Wonderground in downtown Disney and even Gallery 1988 and Bottleneck Gallery in New York. So he's been all over the place. Uh, like I said, he's a pop artist extraordinaire and if you want to check out more of his work, you can head to jmariama.com or you can find a lot of his products on the Squared Code website. Now, Squared Co., interestingly enough, um, has a podcast and Jared is one of the co-hosts on that podcast. So if you like Jared, if you like uh, listening to interviews of artists and designers, kind of like this episode you're about to hear, I definitely recommend the Squared Co. podcast as well. Him and his co-host Mark do great episodes every single week where they almost always talk to a new designer or artist and it's absolutely fascinating and very entertaining along the way yeah and it doesn't just span disney artists as well they kind of hit the entire spectrum of artists recently Mm -hmm. they did a bracket similar to our march mayhem where they (laughs) pitted old 90s cartoons against each other to see who would win and that was a pretty fun episode so all of the links to Jared's projects, the Squared Co. podcast, his website, his Instagram, all that stuff will be available in the blog post for this episode, podcasters.com slash 214. Make sure that you head on over, give a couple of likes to some of Jared's images, and follow him. Before we jump into the episode, a couple of things that I want to bring up. When we recorded this podcast, uh, our initial setup just kind of failed. And so thankfully, I had a backup solution. And so the backup solution is what I used to record this episode. And thankfully, I think I was able to squeeze enough out of the lemon to make it sound like a (laughs) podcast. Because Gavin knows what it sounded like prior to that. And uh, it was a bit of a challenge, but it's still you could still listen. You know, it still sounds okay in your speakers and stuff, but, you know, it's not the regular quality that we have for podcasts. So I'm not going to blame anybody except me for this one. So, Jared, I'm sorry about that, but thank you for being so understanding about it. Uh, Also, before we jump into the podcast, quick reminder that the Chalk Walk is just weeks away from the launch of this episode, we are approximately one month away, and we're trying to raise $5,000 for chalk. So if you have an opportunity, please share our link with your friends and family and try to help us reach that goal. Or if you want to be a part of Team Boat Willy, head on over to podcasters.com and click on the Team Boat Willy link at the top of the page. You'll see a banner there that says click here to register. You'll be able to join the team and join us that morning. It's for a great cause. It's for the Children's Hospital of Orange County. And we have had an amazing time last year if you guys haven't seen the vlog it's up on our youtube channel youtube.com slash if you guys want to check that out you know what i'll throw it up in the blog post too i know we've posted it before but i just put it in the blog post for this episode podcasters.com slash 214 if you guys want to check out that vlog it's a fun time i love it gavin mm-hmm. i know has been training uh for this he's he's this year's rookie sensation speed <laughs> I am speed. Right, Gavin? 
Exactly. I try to give myself a pep talk every morning. I'm in the final stages of some intense training. I'm really trying to be this year's Cinderella story. Uh, you know, the, the kid nobody expected. And, uh, you know, we like Kazen said, we really need your help. Uh, we have a goal that we're trying to meet. And, you know, meeting that goal doesn't give us anything special. We just want to meet that goal so that we can contribute as much as we can to this amazing organization. And all the help we can get, you know, helps uh, kids in this area have a chance at a better life. And, you know, that's what this is about, giving back to the community. And I'm so glad to be, you know, taking part in the new community that I find myself in and part of this awesome charitable team. And I can't wait to do further projects, but we're focused on Chalk Walk right now. So any help you guys can give us, please send it our way um, so that we can forward that on to Chalk and make the world a better place. I could not have said it better myself, so I'm glad that you did. (laughs) Exactly. Like I said, I'm focused. I'm training hard. I am speed. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, if you want to help us out a little bit and you want to help us out with some of those monthly expenses best way to do that is by becoming a fairy godparent of the podcast you can head on over to podcasters.com slash fgp for a little more information uh we love every member of the fgp squad and we thank them for their support they have been super helpful with us growing the podcast over the last several years and we truly appreciate uh, how they've become really a part of the Podcasters family. So to all of the FGP squad, thank you guys for your support. Uh, another great way to help us out is if you shop on Amazon. Next time you need to make a purchase, start that journey by going to podcasters.com slash Amazon before your purchase. On that page, you're going to see a big old Amazon button that when you click it, We'll take you over to Amazon using our special link. And anything that you purchase during that trip will earn us a small commission as a thank you from Amazon because we mentioned them on the podcast and you went through the process of, you know, clicking a few extra times and going through the Podcasters Amazon link. And to everyone that's already taken the time to do that, thank you very much. Your support means a lot to us as well. And that's it, guys. It's time to jump into this episode. I'm excited. Me too. I'm excited. I I always get excited whenever we get a chance to sit down and chat uh, with with anybody. I mean, and you know, Jared's one of those artists that I think a lot of us look up to and we admire for the work that he's done and you know how far he's gotten. So, all right, now I'm just rambling. That's it. It's time to jump into the episode. Here we go, guys. It's time for episode Anytime that I get a chance to edit, it's it's very Yeah, so that's what I mean. It's like you craft this little thing and people are like, meh. Yeah, Yeah, we get that a lot. (laughs) We get that a lot. All right, so I guess formal introductions are should be underway at this point. Uh, we are in the heart of Anaheim, sitting in an undisclosed location at this point. <laughs> it is a very private location. We're not going to tell. It's not Club Thirty Three, if that's what you're wondering. Better, but it's better. <laughs> it's a very private club. I'm sitting with Gavin. 
and our guest for today, artist extraordinaire, Jared Mariama. Very good. Thank you. Jared, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you guys for uh, having me on and for saying my name correctly. Well, <laughs> I, I'm a stickler for names because when you grow up with a name like Hazen, you get, um, is Hazen uh, here? It's like, <laughs> no, it's Hazen. It's phonetic. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you want to remember it's, hey, Zen. And then people tend to get it after that. <laughs> people try to get answers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They, they think it's more complicated than it is. And it's terrible when you're a kid. I've always said this. It's like when you're, when you're a kid, it seems tragic. As an adult, it's nice to have sort of a different yeah. thing, I think. But uh, yeah. when you're a kid, it's like you're just dreading when they start going down the roll call. You're like, mm-hmm. Do you ever get? Have you ever gotten names that are just completely off? No, I mean it's it's usually pretty close, but it'll stick. Hmm. Uh, They have like so it's always Gerard. They always want to say Gerard, right? um, And it's hard for them to shape that. So, or or the kids will think it's funny and they call you (laughs) that for the rest of the school year. Uh, So it tends to be stuff like that. I think for half of the time that I knew Gavin, I was mispronouncing his last name. So (laughs) instead of Otteson, I was saying Otessen. And he, not once did he correct me. And I forgot what it was we were working on where he finally said, no, no, um, it's it's Otteson. It's like, dude, why didn't you correct me before? I feel like such a jerk. Well, my wife actually thinks it's better that way. She loves it. Really? She's like, he's improved it. Like, that's way better. It sounds like a a food brand or something. (laughs) Otessen fish sticks. Quality. Every time. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. Oh, alter ego. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Jerry. We know you graduated from San Jose, is it? San Jose State. Yeah. Yeah. I was an art major there, illustration. Um, the the program that I was in at the time started out as a very traditional illustration program, um, like the old masters of illustration. But people weren't getting jobs in the field at the time. This is a, in the '90s, and so by the time I was finishing it, they turned it into a pretty hardcore animation program Mm -hmm. so just as i was going to graduate they said nope you've got to take this mandatory two-year animation program in order to graduate oh that sounds familiar bumped me out yeah to another couple of years it was a great program it it taught me uh that i hate animating uh so it was helpful in that way but i did learn some valuable skills in that that um you know it's always good to sort of know about it so you know how difficult what you're asking for is um but it wasn't for me so uh i stuck with illustration and then um, went into uh, the children's educational software field oh graphics and things like that like it was a staff job and it was Mm -hmm. it was a nice way to transition out of school and i was in school for so long like embarrassingly long what's the first application you worked on uh, like at the children's place? Yeah. So it was, they were just transitioning into uh, online. They were trying to, oh, okay. uh, they, they were disc-based before, but they were trying to migrate over to being online. And at the time, it was very difficult. Like there were so many restrictions on what you could do, how many colors you could use. And, and so we got bogged down in a lot of that, but it was all just um, grammar school stuff. So it was a lot of apples and dogs and oh, cats okay. and things like that. Um, but that's what I was doing when I first started. Then I became an art director, and so I would oversee the production of apples and cats and dogs. So, <laughs> so when you came out of school, did you want to do more quote-unquote real illustrating? <laughs> you know, I, you, you kind of live in this world of pop art that you mm-hmm. do now, but I mean, did you want to do the editorial illustrations in Time Magazine and things like that? Like, no, I, I mean, and I understand that question because I think 
especially going to school for illustration, that is the good stuff. That is what you should be doing. Right. That's the important stuff. That's the art <laughs> of illustration. Yeah. And I wasn't interested in that. I did want to do pop stuff. I didn't. You know, this is in the time before the internet, so you didn't have, you weren't aware of the other jobs that were out there that could utilize what you could do. Right. Um, so, and like, you didn't go to design merchandise. Uh, like, that just didn't come up even in our daily assignments. So, but that's kind of what I wanted to do. So, um, yeah, I was happy that I was able to, um, you know, doing the children's software stuff was basically merchandise, mm -hmm. but, you know, in the sort of guise of an educational program. Um, but, no, I always wanted to, to go towards something with characters. Okay. Yeah. Was there a particular artist or a, a particular piece of pop art growing up that inspired you, that, that made you feel, this is what I want to do? I, I, I don't think I could point to something specific. I mean, like everybody, we all grow up with toys and um, lunch boxes and things like that. They're, you know, when you're little, they're very important to you. Like, you keep these things. Like, I used to always, I had a, remember telling my mom when I was very young, I had this Sesame Street t shirt, and I can remember it vividly that. Like, it was the characters in a train, but then the tracks just sort of continued down the shirt. And I, I told my mom that once I grow out of this shirt, I'm going to frame this shirt because I love this shirt so much. So I think from the beginning, I, I loved merchandise. I loved, you know, the um, translating of, of properties into merchandise, wearable things or dolls or toys or things. So it's always been in the back of my head, I think, that... I've been fascinated with that, so I think that's where it comes from for me. But I, I don't think I could point to a specific. You know, back then you don't you don't know who does the art, or, right? Or yeah. Anything. So, but it stems from that. So later on in life, like looking at say even like the um, stuff for the movies, like Star Wars and things like that, you start getting a sense of who's doing this stuff. Especially now that we have access right. to everything. But um, but back then, no, I, I had no idea. Yeah, I think unless you were a very famous artist like Andy Warhol, for instance, right. nobody really knew that you were the person behind an art piece. Like that's one of the things that Disney animators, you know, right now they get a lot of credit for it because Instagram is around, Twitter's around, they post about it. They're saying I'm working on this, but before nobody had access to anything like that. So absolutely, yeah. I, I mean, it's nice to see them sort of. I don't know. I think there's a. Like, they, they were very good about saluting the nine old men. Like, they, yes, they yeah. went through a huge time where they did that. But I'm looking at some of these animators now from our sort of golden age, of like Little Mermaid and a lot of stuff, and, and they don't seem to be doing a lot with them. Like, a lot of these guys are just out there working, and I kind of want to yeah. see more from them, like from sure. Disney celebrating these artists and stuff like that, because I think it's important to know. I mean, to me, they're heroes. Like, to meet these people now, to talk yeah. to them mm -hmm. casually about what it was like to work on Beauty and the Beast, it's just right. phenomenal. Yeah. I never thought I would be having these conversations with these people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, I agree. I, I think that there are, you know, especially you look at some of the classic Disney movies, and, you know, back then they had the credits at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And they're really short. Yeah. They're really abbreviated. It's like you have the key animators who did the character animation, maybe. Right. And maybe the main background artist. Right. You know, the Ivan Durrell or somebody like that. And that's it. And you know for a fact that hundreds of people worked on that movie. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's great that they're getting credit 
in the movie itself now, but, you know, to Hazen's point, it's also great that we get to see into their lives a little bit with social media, we get to see what they're doing, we get to find out if they're doing signings or if they're going to be at this convention, and we can maybe try and meet them, and, and I think that's great. I it think the, the fandom of animation is bigger than it's ever been, Yeah, and I think that it's kind of a golden era of getting to have access to those kinds of things. I understand what you're saying, though. I think being in a place and a culture where we're now moving towards giving the credit to the people that deserve it, Mm -hmm. I think is a major shift, not just in animation, but in general. I think the fact that people can now call somebody out and say, you didn't make that, and instantly go on Reddit and have 200,000 people downvote you because that wasn't something you made. It's something that people are scared of. So I think people are prone to give credit where credit is due now. Yes, yes. There, There seems to be a shift, though, I think, with the with the sort of switch over to digital animation mm-hmm. like there doesn't we seem to have lost the celebration of the 2D stuff like we seem to absolutely. have moved on yeah. so quickly absolutely and that's why I think the heartbreaking part to me is that there's these 2D animators that did amazing things but we, we seem to have just left that behind yeah. and, and I still feel such great affection for that that craft that I want to see these people still celebrated like we did the, the Nine Old Men yeah. and so they seem to have fallen into a funny sort of in between phase yeah <laughs> I, I agree yeah. and it feels like if they want to stay within the industry that they're known for they almost have to shift their role to the story development and things like that where they can do concept art and storyboard art and they, there's a lot of drawing that's still involved you know even the character designing yes. and then it's modeled and, and made into you know three dimensional objects in the computer right so there's a place for them but yeah they don't kind of get that lead animator credit anymore right. and yeah that is kind of tragic I think we're more director focused now mm-hmm. than ever yeah. before with animation um, so I think the directors Absolutely. which you know not to take away from what they do but it, before it used to be more the animator like well this sure. guy animated Simba and so he was a star because he animated that character I don't know that we're seeing that as much now I think like you said mm-hmm. it's the development art yeah. which kind of uh, gets passed around more but yeah. I don't know do you, do you guys hear a lot about the individual animators actually no i'm no. i think that's a good point the 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 most famous disney artists right now you know are the people that work on the concept art and the storyboarding and, yeah. and you know mm-hmm. that like the britney lees yes. and the brian kessingers like these are the well-known people out there and they're not lead animators they're right. not even animators yeah you know they're just coming up with the look and the feel of the movies and the stories of the movies and so yeah it's interesting how that sh- shift in focus has has kind of taken place i mean it's cool because before we never knew who the you know the storyboard artists were right you now and it's kind of right. cool that we can know who they are now yeah uh again I, I think it's a neat time where we can see more of the people that are involved mm-hmm. um you know we talked on our last episode about the closing of the disney toon studios yeah you know that's another sad example of an entity that was still involved in some 2d animation going away um i I lament it. I I am a 2D animation guy. You know, I think we all grew up with that. Mm -hmm. And I still think it's the highest form of the art form. And I think the greatest things that were ever animated are 2D things. I don't think... 
anything that I've seen computer animated can compete with some of those. So I, I don't know. I, I'm hoping the pendulum will swing back a little bit and we might get an influx of more, especially domestically, more 2D feature animation. But, yeah, yeah. I wonder I about know. that. I think it might be like a, a Leica studio or yeah. something where it yeah. becomes a sort of small studio that releases these small films every right. so many years. I and mean, isn't it great because it's old fashioned? Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> you true. Know? But um, I don't know that. I, I guess it's probably too expensive to, to do these in the two D. I think I, I think you can meet halfway though, because when you think about some of the new shorts that we're seeing with Mickey Mouse, uh-huh. there is two D to that, even though it's done digitally. So sure. a lot of the squash and stretch that you have to put into traditional animation is still there. It's just done a little bit differently. I think for me, because I grew up with two D animation and you look at a flip book and to me that is like magic yeah that is amazing that someone could have drawn a series of pictures without the aid of a computer to Mm -hmm. produce the parts that are sort of staying still or to to keep a circle round like someone like learned how to do this yeah that to me is like the craft and that's what i love to see and so that's why yeah um you know we can you can look at the end product and be like well it's a beautiful end product. However you got there, maybe it doesn't matter. But I think just like when I get a new Blu-ray or something, I want to see the behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah. More so than watching the movie over again, I want to see the behind-the-scenes stuff. I want to see pencil tests, those old mm-hmm. things. Like That, to me, was the most fascinating part of it. I think, like we were saying with social media, we're kind of seeing bonus features all the time now. Right. Like It's not special. You don't wait for the DVD to come out, and, yeah. and then you get to see it. Yeah. So. But again, it's just all making me sound very old. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't think that at all, because... You know, I I grew up with 2D as well. You know, I think the very first film that I saw in a movie theater was The Little Mermaid. Mm -hmm. And to me... The first movie you ever saw in the theater. uh, Is what you're saying. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Same as me. That was the (laughs) same as me. I'm a little bit old. Yeah, but uh, I think, you know, those films, especially in the Renaissance era... Yeah. You know, they're a quintessential part of the transformation of animation to where it is today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we recently went up to the Walt Disney Family Museum uh-huh. and I saw the Nine Old Men exhibit. Mm-hmm. And there's a section that they have where they have pencils and pieces of paper and these tiny flip books where they want kids to sit there and create these little flip books. Yep. And I was flipping through that collection that they have of the Nine Old Men. Yeah. And it's almost like I fell in love with animation again because, just like you said, it's a simple test of Tinkerbell you know just kind of flying through the page and it's such a magical and breathtaking experience Mm -hmm. to know that somebody was able to create all those details over and over and over for x amount of frames to create that i i love it oh yeah it's it's um it's like an obsession like when you look Mm -hmm. at say like i mean it's a classic scene but like when you see that pencil test of cinderella's dress transforming Mm -hmm. amazing like so easy to do that now digitally right like you'd have to do so much more to make that magical but you know that somebody yeah. drew every yeah. little thing in that and then image. painted the light into it yeah, yeah. I just uh, to me that's like the craft of it so mm-hmm. to have that part of it gone I don't know it's like if they said oh look we've, we've recreated this Van Gogh in Photoshop I'm like yeah but <laughs> that's sort of not the point you know right. like you're, you're missing the whole yeah. steps that got you there and so I think that's the, the sad part for me so I I, you know, I still love animation, obviously. It's just a different creature for me than mm-hmm. 2D. 
Yeah. So obviously a huge Disney fan. Um, I think we all are here for sure. <laughs> Did you always want to um, work with Disney or for Disney or, or have some sort of Disney connection in your professional career? Uh, not as a young kid. Like as a young kid, I liked uh, Looney Tunes more than I did oh, Disney okay. films. I've mentioned this before, but like, <laughs> you know, when you're really young, you like the more, uh, I think, action-based or funnier sure. things. So like, you know, we saw Lady and the Tramp when we were really little. I thought, oh, this is so boring. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I watch it now even as an adult. I'm like, well, this really isn't a kid's movie. You know, yeah. like there's not a lot like of silliness in it. It's like a romantic comedy for adults. Right. So I wasn't I wasn't drawn to it that. It was The Little Mermaid actually for me that okay. made me want to work for Disney. That that became a professional mm-hmm. goal. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but before that, no, I didn't grow up thinking uh, I would work for them. And I, I did initially think I wanted to do animation. Mm-hmm. So that's always how I thought. I didn't think I want to grow up and draw for a gallery or, or right. draw for t-shirts or something like that. That came sort of later on its own. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you're in town for a signing mm-hmm. um, at Wonderground and also at Off the Page. I know you've done a lot of work um, with Wonderground. Um, tell us about how that kind of came to be. Like, how has that relationship developed and, and what is what is that like? You write them a big check. No one wants to tell you that. But that's how <laughs> now you know the secret. Okay. Not cash. <laughs> no. Um, you know, I, it's great. Obviously, the experience has been great. And I think for, for most people, the, the question tends to be like, how did you get in? And I have a terrible answer and no one likes it and thinks that I'm... Uh, being coy about it or not trying to <laughs> give out the secrets but really when I started doing the work I wanted to do when I did when I drew the way I wanted to draw and not the way I thought Instagram wants me to draw or Disney would want me to draw or that this will sell and this won't sell when I just drew the thing I wanted to draw when I let go of any sort of preconceived notion about what I should be doing or that uh Adults won't buy cute things, or adults aren't interested in cute things, um, or to be self-conscious about a guy doing cutesy, bootsy things. Um, once I kind of let all of that go and just did my own thing, is when I one started enjoying the work that I was doing, but two, then it started getting noticed by people. Mm-hmm. I think uh, I don't know. Somehow they can tell, they can sense the sincerity in your work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if it's not there, I think people don't respond to it. That's really how it came to be. They saw stuff that I did, and they reached out to me. I didn't send stuff in. I didn't, you know, fill out an application or anything like (laughs) that. Um, So I know that's terribly frustrating. But, I mean, I think most artists know that everybody wants to work for Disney. So you're competing with absolutely everybody. Um, So they're not taking portfolio reviews for mm-hmm. these things They're, they can go out and look online and say we'd like to work with you and that's really I, at least that's how it worked for me I can't speak on behalf of them. yeah and everybody the thing is too that there's so many people that will try to mimic the Disney style mm-hmm. and they spend a lot of time drawing Mickey you know drawing their favorite of the Fab Five and that's all that they post yeah but I think Disney already has a bunch of people that can do that for them and do it really well yeah. so they want to see the variety they want to see that you have your own ideas a lot of the artists that i've seen come up like brian for instance uh with victoria and otto mm-hmm. you know that was something that 
you know, it's so disconnected to Disney, but it really harbors that attention. The little Kylo series, you yeah, with yeah. all the, the kawaii type art that you do. It's something that's unseen in the parks. Well, Brian's a great draftsman in general. I mean, he yeah. can just draw like crazy. So mm-hmm. like, I think he can do whatever he wants and it, it's going to look nice. Right. Um, so I think the problem comes from most people learn to draw by looking at other things. I think mm-hmm. we all learn mm-hmm. that way by either copying something that, you know, a picture you have or uh, from a book or something. So like right now, a lot of, if you look at the character art, other, a lot of things look like Frozen because these sure. young people are growing up with that as the major influence. So they're, they're, the faces all look kind of like what they've established in that film. Um, and I think that's fine, but I think, like you said, when you're looking at something like, if you want to go into animation, I think that's great. If you want to do like the gallery work or merchandise stuff, I think you have to bring something a little different. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, do you um, come up with your own concepts when you're working with Wonderground, or do they assign you things? Do they say, we need a piece that's this? Please work on this. Uh, it's a little of both. Okay. And, and I like, uh, I would prefer an assignment, actually. Really? Um, for the most part. <laughs> like, it's nice to have a challenge, a, right. a general challenge. Like, when the gallery first started, there used to be a theme for every show. Oh. Um, and they dropped that after, I think, maybe the first year. Um, so now... Uh, they might give you suggestions or they might say these characters are popular or we've been getting a lot of requests for this character. Um, then, you know, it's Disney and there's a lot of different factions. So they might say, well, we can't use these characters or stay away from these characters because of um, getting clearance and things like that. So, mm-hmm. But they rarely have come to me and said, we want you to do this specific thing. Yeah. Um, it might be an anniversary for an attraction or um, a birthday of some, you know, one of the major characters or things like that. But mm-hmm. I think that's been the excitement for me. Yeah. yeah. What's your favorite piece that you've made for Wonderground so far? Oh, that's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> so when I did the um, Kingdom of Cute thing, uh, I love that because, one, it's very much my style. It's None of it is really character-based. Some of it. There's a little bit of character in there, but mostly it's like putting faces on inanimate right. Disney objects. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is exactly what I like to do. So to be able to release that print and then see it in so many different versions, we did pins, we did vinyls, we did the backpack, we did socks. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, that represents everything that I like to do. And to see it um, across a whole line, that's always right. my dream, is to yeah. see it work out. You know, that's not the most artistic <laughs> dream, <laughs> but uh, but it's realistic me, though. Yeah, like that. It's I very realistic that. though. I yeah. love seeing the translation of art into merchandise. Mm-hmm. So, oh, it's, it's very creative, and it, it was very successful. And it goes back to what you were talking about before. You know, always kind of wanting to be involved in merchandising design. And so, when they did the vinyl versions mm-hmm. of those, how involved were you in the actual creation and? and mapping of those little toys that they created. So I did a few turns uh, just in Adobe Illustrator. Okay. Real basic stuff for the most part. Mostly it's to see how the face is going to land. But it's so... Most of these things are so iconic and they can reference the real thing. Right. uh, That it wasn't a lot of... Because I don't... I don't like drawing in <laughs> in dimension like that. It's okay. really difficult for me. And uh, so they have these very talented people who can digitally sculpt these things. And then, so I got to approve, like, <laughs> finger quotes, approve. That's what I was going to say. They would show me, you know, where it was and, and how it was looking. And I could make a few comments. They're like, well, eh, this could 
probably be rounders. Or, mm-hmm. But for the most part, they nailed him. Yeah. Right away. It's harder with, like when we did the hipster Mickey doll, that's a little oh, bit yeah. more involved. Um, because not only is it what I'm suggesting, but it's the rules about how to portray Mickey and, and what has been done historically. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot more involved. But even that one went relatively easy. Sure. Yeah. Speaking of Hipster Mickey, several years ago, it just took the Disney World by storm. You saw Hipster Mickey on everything, you know, those glasses, the coffee. It was... And the knockoff, uh, knockoffs, the huge compliment. Yeah. Everybody wanted the coffee. <laughs> uh, what inspired you to create Hipster Mickey? Well, when we did the first show, one of the first assignments, that everyone had to do a Mickey piece. The, the first theme was Pixar, so we got to do a Pixar piece, and then we had to do, everyone had to do a Mickey, well, had to do <laughs> <laughs> but that was the other side was to do a Mickey piece and they, they really were pushing for something contemporary and different mainly different and it was the first time and only time I think from Disney that I got notes back that this was too on model oh <laughs> wow yeah, they wanted it to be pushed more huh. that this was too traditional and it didn't fit what they were kind of trying to achieve with the gallery concept mm-hmm. um, and so I was trying to you know we've had uh, disco Mickey we had uh, the 80s Mickey mm-hmm. you know that was very popular mm-hmm. so I was seeing along those lines and what would sort of ground him in now? What would be the outfit, you know? And so we did that one, and it sat around for a while, and we weren't sure if we were going to use it, but the interns at the time pushed for it. They liked it, and so that's kind of a good sign. Nice. So they did release it, and then it just... But we had no idea that it would take yeah. off in the way that it did. So I, I I would have assumed that demand would necessitate... I mean, we, we did get a, a version of Mini, mm-hmm. but... I would have assumed that we'd follow with the hipster Goofy, hipster Donald. <laughs> like, was there any requests for for those? Well, uh, we had fan requests for that, mm-hmm. especially a Donald, I think. And yeah. Donald was the one I think I was most wanting to do. Sure. I think that would be fun. Um, they So because that thing took off right away and it became synonymous with the gallery, they were very careful about what they did with that. And um, I think sort of contrary to what people might think about Disney in general, they wanted to sort of be restrained with that. Mm. They didn't want to say, okay, let's just blow this out okay. to every possible avenue that we right. can. So um, that meant a lot of the creative stuff was not taken away from me, but a lot of other people were involved in the decisions. So they just kept it very um, close to the best on that one and, and didn't want to do yeah. um, too many variations on it. So um, that's great. I think that's a yeah. It keeps I, it. I like that approach. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. That's exactly it. It keeps it special. It doesn't cheapen it in well, any way. I mean, if you think about that, that is in keeping with a lot of their other models, like mm-hmm. with the the movie vault. You know, right. they don't just yeah. put all their content out in the world all the time. Not they yet. They try and maintain an exclusive feel for it. Well, mm-hmm. we don't know what that streaming service is going to yeah. tell us. I know what you were talking. About. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're going to get everything in the vault. We will see. That's the only way it's it'll worth. be tiered. <laughs> I think it'll be yeah. tiered exactly. Yeah. You got twenty bucks. You got this. You got the Renaissance. You yeah. got thirty yeah. bucks. You got the Golden Age. Forty bucks. You got everything. Season pass. You got yeah. Nice. Well, we're 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 at Wonderground. We're getting near the parks, and I want to talk about the parks a little bit. But I want to ask you about the signings a little bit because sure. I'm, I'm always fascinated by that. I think as as an artist, I've kind of you know imagined or dreamed like. 
what would it be like if I did a signing and a line of people queued up to see me? That would be very fun. Oh, buddy, do you want us to set that up for you? Uh, please. <laughs> okay, we'll uh, set up a table. I don't know how sanctioned it will be, but we'll set up a table for you. Okay, write thanks. a check. <laughs> <laughs> but I imagine there are pros and cons with it. And, you know, there's, uh, you know, especially the first time you do it, it's got to be a strange feeling. But, you know, what are some of the things that people always ask you at signings or, or what are some of the funny things that people ask you? Um, the signings are always surreal events no matter what. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you, I think especially for artists, you never do this stuff thinking, I'm going to be famous right. or, or I'm going <laughs> to sign autographs. <laughs> you know, maybe you would sign your art, but not go somewhere and stand there and take pictures with babies and people. And, <laughs> right. So it's always weird to me. So I think... To that question, everything is is weird. Uh, you know, people ask me very nicely, "Are we able to take a picture?" <laughs> of course, you're able to. Take, do you want a picture? Like that's more the question. Right. Um, so I don't know that I get anything that's too common. I mean, a lot of people will ask about hipster Mickey. Where did you get the inspiration? Or who's your favorite character? Which I think for Disney fans, no, that's a terrible question that gets geeky immediately. Like, what era do you mean? Are we, yeah. Right. Are we talking just print? Or, it can get um, meta really quickly, yes. and then you got Pixar and everything else, <laughs> and then it's like, yeah, right. <laughs> so um, I don't know that I get anything too strange. Like people give me stuff, which is very nice, um, but it, it always kind of. Um, I'm always surprised by it. Yeah. So I'm never super comfortable at these things because it is a lot of chit chat and, sure. and um, you know it's a it's a relatively quick exchange, but still you want you know I I got to a point where. I thought, okay, if this is in fact exciting for this person, you don't want to be there pouring a bucket of water over it and just being like, oh, this is ridiculous. You know, (laughs) so you kind of want to join them on whatever level they're coming at you. Some people are very quick, you know, can you sign this? Great, gone. Do you want a picture? No. I hate when the cast members ask that. They're very nice because they're trying to help. Sure. Would you like a picture? I'm like, oh, don't put them on this. Yeah. Right. (laughs) (laughs) No, thank you. Um, But, but yeah, I think it's always, it's very nice. It's very flattering. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's flattering. Yeah. And you're, you're appreciative because, like, one of the first signings I did, um, they had me uh, on Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Downtown Disney was just dead. <laughs> Nobody there. I didn't know Except why. for the ESPN zone. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so... When you have that, um, and I think you have to have those to make the good times feel good. Sure. And you're appreciative of the people who are taking time out of the day to stand in line just to get you to sign this thing. So yeah. always appreciative, but uh, always weird. Yeah. <laughs> I'm um, pretty sure that the litmus test, though, is once somebody says, will you sign my arm? I want a tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you know you've made it. The tattoo stuff is crazy. Yeah. But, you know, it always it's a reminder, too, that this is Disney. It's, it's so much bigger than any one artist or person mm-hmm. and, and that's what you're that's why someone puts a tattoo on not because right. I did it right but because it represents this version of Mickey Mouse or this version of this character that they loved so, well I think you're being a little humble there <laughs> I, I think there is something to the artist as well because you, you definitely have a, a style um, that is highly recognizable and well, you know you. I feel like you've got a huge fan base of you know loyal they're, they're Disney fans but they're specifically Jared Mariamo fans too. <laughs> and I, it's I not just myself as one of them. It's not just recognizable; it's also inviting. That's another thing because I know 
know a lot of artists that are very recognizable, but it doesn't invite you to want to purchase a product or no. to want to own a piece created by that artist. Yeah. And I think your art, like the, the cutesy kawaii style is something that's very inviting and in vogue at the same time, right? So uh, I think that has a lot to do with it as well. Well, that's an interesting point, because that's what I always say. There's a big difference between um, liking a picture and wanting that picture up in your house. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's key. Like if you can kind of find a way to navigate that aspect of creating merchandise, then you're, you're pretty good. I think it's always elusive because like I said before, I'll do things that I think are going to be popular or mm -hmm. and it just it, those are the ones that are not. Yeah. yeah. So there's no way to always predict it, but when you hit it, it's great. It's right. fantastic. There's no magic ball for that. <laughs> I've yeah. hit that on Instagram so much. I'll work on a photograph where I just think, wow, 200 likes, yeah. easy, 40. And then I post something that was a throwaway shot. It's like 500 likes. Yeah. What? Yeah. Wait a second. What happened here? It can be a, a vicious cycle. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I think it's great. You know, I love that you mentioned that, you, you know, you kind of step into the, the fan shoes when they're coming to you at a signing and, you know, understanding that this might be super exciting for them. And so you kind of want to meet them on that level. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about us having access to mm -hmm. artists. And I think it's amazing that places like Wonderground and, and the galleries and the parks do regular signings with artists that are free of charge. Yep. You, know, you can walk into Wonderground to this signing that you're doing this weekend. You don't have to pay anything. You don't have to buy anything. You can just line up and just meet right. the artist. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's awesome. I think it's a really cool thing. It is. And it goes back to what I was saying. There are there are so many people that work for this company that are turning on amazing stuff, whether it is a t-shirt or, or a, a print or whatever, and they don't always get the opportunity to stand in front of their work and right. say, this is my work. Sometimes yeah. they can't even post it and say, I did this part of this. Right. They're getting better about that now. But um, I, I look at it as a privilege to be able to do that, to be able to release something through Wonderground, stand in front of it and say, this is what I did. Um, and I hope, you know, they've been able to rope in some other people from different divisions of the company. Mm -hmm. And I think that's fantastic. Yeah. I think there are so many unsung heroes and people doing just incredible merchandise art and they don't get to sign an autograph for yeah. whatever reason. So it's nice to see uh, some of those people. And that's why I always feel like I'm happy to step aside and let this person come in and, and, and sign and, you know, stand next to me and I want, I want their autograph. So mm -hmm. it's great that this gallery is taking this concept and kind of running with it in that direction. Yeah. Do you ever find that there's a difference in the type of people that you meet and how passionate they are about the art when you sign at Wonderground versus at Off the Page or inside of Disneyland at the gallery like Disney Anna? Uh, yeah, so Wonderground tends to be people are coming for the event. Uh, it, I mean, it's a mix. You do get people who are just waiting for a dinner reservation and, and uh, or just happen to be there when you're there. But you but specifically Disneyland, you get a bigger fan base that's coming. Um, off the Page is a little bit different people aren't in that mindset when they're just kind of strolling through a store there so it's it's harder to get people to come in we've done it in cars land when they put us outside we do mm -hmm. better because they see you and they see the line and they see something's happening uh, and off the page we're tucked sort of in the back of the store so you really have to be in the store to know that something's going on the bigger difference is between anaheim and florida Orlando is a very different creature than Disneyland. Disneyland is fantastic. You've got a local audience that's very big on it. Um, Florida, you get all tourists, but you get sure. international tourists. Mm. Um, so it's a very different mindset. Mm. Like, you get questions that are 
like as much about your art as what time does the park close? What's the restroom? <laughs> <laughs> like it's just they're not there to see you. You're yeah. just one of the attractions that, yeah. that happen to be there. So um, you know, it's a, just a different creature. I don't know that I like when more than well, of course, I like Disney. Right? <laughs> just because it's a, you, you have a different connection I think with the fans there. Mm-hmm. it's changing slowly in Orlando they are getting more of a local base but I will say when I sign in Orlando I'd say it's like 80% cast members wow but that, that's a huge sure. population all fans in Orlando yeah, yeah. yeah. so Absolutely. I mean there's nothing wrong with that I love that because they tell the best stories <laughs> I mean let's face it 80% of Orlando is nothing but cast members <laughs> exactly. so that's probably why right. yeah <laughs> so yeah well I that's agree funny. I feel like there's a there's a more savvy park goer out here yeah there's in florida and things um, make sense things we go through things here in california much faster so yeah. something will be big and it'll burn bright for a while and then it's gone and we're on to the next thing florida it's like it takes a while to migrate across the country mm-hmm. and end up in florida so like um hipster it feels like it's just kind of catching on there <laughs> like it's just a little bit behind right. in california but here it's just so fast yeah it's um, it, I, it definitely has to do with the tourist aspect of it because yeah. here you have the purposeful Disney mm-hmm. fan right they go because they want to learn more about the park they want to experience it in a way that you just can't when you're a tourist yeah. you know many annual pass holders will just sit in the park and just soak in the ambiance which right. is one of my favorite things to do well even when they do like a Funko release mm-hmm. yeah know, it's, like, it's a mall here like people yeah. just show up and wait for hours for those releases so it's great it's fantastic because I'm such a fan of things too so I like when that's the sort of feeling of the crowd that we're all fans here so right yeah i enjoyed that when you're creating new pieces uh like for instance the kingdom of cute was it absolutely difficult for you to adapt that style or if you were to plug in let's say the haunted mansion i'm not just saying this because it's my favorite attraction or anything (laughs) but if you had to plug it into let's say the haunted mansion would it be simple for you like is it formulaic for you at this point because you've been doing it for so long or is it more artistic and rack your brain about it really artistic (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's always a challenge it depends on what it is um it's actually harder to cutify something that's already cute um, sure. So it's easier if there's more of a contrast, like the Haunted Mansion. Mm-hmm. So if they're kind of scarier or just not a cute thing to begin with, it's more fun to play with that. And there's more contrast and people recognize that contrast. But if you're trying to take like, like on a recent thing, I had to make a cute version of Pikachu and I don't know how you do that. <laughs> <laughs> he's already cute. Yeah. Like, he's already so cute. Like how do you do it? That's a bigger challenge to me than um, taking something that's so different. Mm-hmm. But no, it's never, uh, it should, at least it should never be routine for me. If it's routine for me, then I probably am not happy with what comes out of that. Uh, it should always be, or I should, I have to find a way to make it a challenge. I'm glad you said that because that was going to be my follow-up question that, you know, considering that you do so much of this art, do you ever get bored of it or are you always excited to do that next piece in that style? Uh, yeah, I am. I, I, like I said, I think it's that I have to find a way to make it interesting. So uh, 
if it's like you know I do a lot of the national days just to sure. have something to post so it's like national apple day well you know <laughs> a bit of happy base on the apple <laughs> call it a day you know, it's hard to be like well what can you do there is it an apple core is it a worm coming out you know you have to find a way to make this sort of I mean I guess you could say storytelling I so that that's saying too much but uh, you have to kind of find a way to find an angle that makes it so that people don't just flip past it too quickly right um, and sometimes you do sometimes you don't <laughs> sometimes it is just an apple with a smile and sometimes <laughs> that's fine but um, you know for me personally for it to be satisfying for me I try to find an angle um, I want to talk a little bit about the parks. Absolutely. I know that when you're out here, you definitely hit the parks. Um, I, let's let's just jump into Star Wars. Okay. Let's talk a little Galaxy's Edge. Yes. What are your hopes and fears and dreams for this brand new land that's coming to this resort next year? Are you excited? Are you trepidatious? <laughs> what What's going through your mind at this point? And let's just yeah. set the stage here. Sure. How much of a Star Wars fan are you? Oh, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Uh, and Star Wars fandom has taken a weird, dark turn lately. <laughs> <laughs> has it? <laughs> and I am not part of that faction. I, I'm kind of old school. You know, I'm original trilogy. I was five when I saw Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I grew up with these films. I, I felt the same way most people did about the prequels. But it's fun. Like, all of it's fun to me. I, mm-hmm. I, I didn't reach that point where it became so serious, where yeah. uh, it got kind of dark. And where it angry became religious and, zealotry. Yeah, or ruining your childhood. I'm like, oh, I, I don't see it that way. And that's sad if it is ruining your childhood. Yeah. Um, but no, big Star Wars fans. So I'm very excited that they are doing a Star Wars fan. I think since the first film, we've all thought it was theme park ready. Like, why can't we walk through these places? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little sad that we're not getting specific locations. We're getting the yeah. Millennium Falcon, which is fantastic. That's great. But I'm kind of sad that it's not Tatooine or it's... Right. Or Hoth. Or, or, yeah. Or, yeah. And, and I get that they will find a way to make it feel like it. Just sure. like Ray is not on Tatooine, but Jakku feels like... Sure. Tattooing. Yeah. Um, so I'm very excited uh, to walk in a Star Wars environment, and I'm excited from what I've seen so far that it looks very immersive. Um, I just want to feel that old school Star Wars when I'm when I'm there. Yeah. So yeah. are you more excited about the attractions or just kind of being able to walk into that world and just kind of be there and you know interact with with the cast members because they're they're talking about it like it's going to be highly interactive. You know. Right playing part of a story basically everywhere you go yeah are you more excited about that element or or the attractions because I'm an attractions guy yeah number one all I care about is the attractions right I'll do that a hundred times and then I'll be like oh let me explore the land now and see what else there is I I think I'm there with you like I think the land will be only as successful as its attractions I don't think those attractions can flop and you can still say but it's such a great land you know I think it has to be there like you have to want to ride that thing over and over mm-hmm. I think I will yeah. look yeah. at Star Tours like right. I never tire of Star Tours right uh, so I'm hoping if they can match even that much uh, will be good the rest of it I think I have to see how they how it rolls out mm-hmm. like a lot of these things start off big and like everyone's behind it and then it kind of fades away as the land sort of finds its personality and what people are liking I get a little self-conscious with too much of that 
interaction. Oh, you know, yeah. like, I'll get embarrassed. Like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't know. Like, grab someone else. Someone else wants to do that. Um, so I, I'm, I'm curious to see how it plays out, though. I don't yeah. know that I want to participate. I'd like to see kids do it. Like, watching that uh, Jedi Academy, mm-hmm. first time I saw that, I'm like, that makes me cry. Like, it's awesome. I, I felt the same way. As a kid. That yeah. would have been a dream come true as a kid. So just seeing those kids so excited about it, that's kind of what I want to see with this with this yeah. new one. And I'll forgive a lot of other things if right. some of this, some of the hearts in the right place. Yeah. Do you yeah. share the fears of many that Star Tours days are numbered because of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge opening? It's one of those things where I can't quite figure out what the right... Like, I don't have a strong opinion on what they should do with Star Tours. Iron Man experience. <clears throat> should oh, it, but on. should it move? Do you think it should move? Like, I, I, Here's where I probably I mean, haven't it, heard your opinion it, on it's this kinda, I mean, it, to me, it kind of makes sense story-wise because it's it's a tourism right. element Travel. to it. It's kind of an outpost, and they're going to take you... Like, right now, the ride ends yeah. in... What's the name of the planet that Galaxy's Edge is? Or Batu? Yeah, Batu. Batu, yeah. So it ends in Batu. So it's like you're traveling to it, you know? Um, now, the fact that you step out of it and you're not in Star Wars land, I guess right. there's a disconnect there. But as far as it making sense, I mean, it makes sense as much as it ever did. Right. You know, you know and that goes back to another question about... You know, where do you land on Star Wars presence in Disneyland at all? Because I know a lot of old school people have a hard time with it. And it's been around since 1986, Star Star Tours has. People still, some people still aren't over it. You know, like that's the day that Disneyland was ruined. And, you know, we've since got Indiana Jones and other things. I love it. I, I think they belong there. It's all part of the same group of pioneering people in the mm-hmm. 20th, 20th century who created these worlds of imagination, and I think it totally belongs. Where do you land on that? I, I think it does, especially now that they own it. Sure, <laughs> sure. But I could see, like, at the time, I think there was a there was a feeling that they can't rely on the Disney property, so we need to go outside. Mm. And I could see where people would be like, no, you're fine. Like, you're not exploiting these other things. You're going to something flashy to bring mm. in. For me now, it's so ingrained in the Disney experience. I, I can't think of that area without Indiana Jones. Right. And so I'm not bothered by, or whether they owned it or not I'm not bothered by its presence there mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not a purist when it comes to the park I know a lot of people hold very tightly especially with Disneyland that you know they want to keep Walt's stuff intact right. and I and I kind of get that but I still feel like if Walt was alive he would be the first one to say let's let's do something different yeah. let's do this yeah. what else can we do and um, and I don't know I get uncomfortable when people start speaking on behalf of Walt I know I do too <laughs> so I don't like to do that but um, I do too I don't I think it's fine I could see the other <laughs> side I just don't feel that passionately about, yeah. about that yeah. yeah have you had a chance to try the VR experience I haven't or is it VR or AR it's VR I get those mixed up virtual reality uh, over in downtown Disney. I have not yet I want to I do too I haven't done you it yet yeah, no, I you haven't done it either. Right? I have not done yeah. it yet. No. So Mark, my co-host on the podcast that I'm on, he's done it, mm-hmm. um, and so they they put you through in fours, right? Regardless of how many in your party, right. right? And so that makes me a little 
uncomfortable. <laughs> so like I would say, like I want to go with a party of four because sure. I don't want to be with people I don't know. And sure. Like either, like he even said it in one of our episodes that he felt bad, like they did everything. Oh, like they just, just like because he kind of everything. explore. He's like, oh look, you can pull these things down, and so then they just ended up doing all this. It's kind of like an escape room, I guess, where you're yeah. kind of supposed uh, to figure. But it it kind of moves you it along. Kind of does it for right. you? Yeah. So I think yeah, we'll have to get a group of four. Right. Well, we have three ready to go. There you go. Well, then at least we're yeah. dominant. Yeah. We're right. just bully the third, yeah. the fourth person. Don't do over. anything. We'll take care of it. I'm just surprised we're not seeing more of that. Like I, I just thought we'd see so much of that. Yeah. And it seems like we haven't gotten past the um, the movie screen ride yet. You right. Know, like everything's yeah. just movie screen. Yeah. Um, I, I feel something. like they're the companies that are doing it are still kind of on the leading edge of that. And and I think you'll have followers and you'll have more of that once those prove themselves to be financially viable yes. and successful. Always. And yeah, I, I think the, the the one they have in downtown Disney now, I mean, reservations are weeks out right now yeah. I think, yeah. still. So things like that, the success of it and the ability of them to like renew it and change the story every so often um, will lead us further down that road, I mm-hmm. think. And, and I feel like... Uh, Galaxy's Edge is supposed to incorporate some more of that into yeah. the, the battle attraction, right? That's what we're hoping to see. Yeah. I mean, I think having things like the Void in Downtown Disney is almost a test case for Disney, sure. because the Void is one of the companies that Disney has invested in. Like every year, they have these competitions where they invest money in these types of companies. So, whatever technology comes from it, Disney's the first one to have a bid at using it in the parks mm-hmm. and beyond. Having them in Downtown Disney harbors that type of want from the average guest, right? Somebody that maybe wasn't into Star Wars but likes escape rooms, yeah. you know, might all of a sudden dip their feet into it and think, this Star Wars thing is amazing. I yeah. can't wait till I see Galaxy's Edge. I, for one, am looking forward to seeing that technology because yep. with the incorporation of how they're using Bluetooth technology uh, with the Play app now or how they've used Magic Bands in the past, if all of that incorporates into Galaxy's Edge, I am looking forward to having somebody just say, you're the rebel spy, come with me, you know, and I just have to run away from that. But (laughs) I like that type of adventure. I'm looking forward to that. I'm not as big a Star Wars fan as you are. I call Uh myself a casual Star Wars fan, but my kids have seen more Star Wars and seeing them in the Jedi Academy Mm -hmm. just made me feel like that is something they are going to love. Yeah. I think it's the uh, glasses, like that you have to wear headgear. Mm -hmm. Like that seems to create a distance because imagine if those kids in the Jedi Academy all had to wear a VR headset or something it'd be a very different (laughs) experience you know from us watching it to them doing it like there's something great about how lo-fi that thing is Mm -hmm. um, that uh, I don't know I I don't know I can't quite think of how they're going to use it in a, in a way other than what they're doing right now with right. just walking through something. But I, I don't know. I think Magic Mountain may have been the first one the to incorporate roller coaster? the roller coaster and the VR experience. Yeah. So maybe if they added elements to the Millennium Falcon that way or another attraction that incorporated that VR as well. Plus, I think as technology progresses, the helmets get smaller and smaller, yeah. right? Or just like chip. Yeah, I mean, years well, ago, we talked about, yeah, we talked about this recently yeah. in one of our episodes. Google Glass was supposed to be the next big thing when right. it came to augmented reality. But 
but maybe we move away from virtual and go to augmented so that you're seeing it in front of you versus having this whole helmet on you. Right. I, I actually kind of thought originally or hoped originally that that's what they were going to do with the Incredicoaster. Have you had a chance to go on the Incredicoaster? I haven't. It was closed when I went. Okay. It, it It's amazing what they did. I, I still kind of wish they would have either you know, done something insane and completely enclosed it in a building right. so that they could just fully theme it or done something like a VR, you know, experience with it. Because, I mean, when it comes down to it, it's still just a roller coaster right. with some theming. Yeah. It's incredible, you know, it really is, but, you know, it, it's not, you know, Radiator Springs Racers right. or Pirates of the Caribbean the where you're, business, like, right. leaving this world and going to a completely different place. And so... I, I would be very interested if, if they would incorporate some of that VR technology into actual attractions. I And with Imagineering, you know, they always deliver. Even if it's something minimal, it, they just have a way of just giving it that extra special, you know, magic that Disney's yeah. known for. And I'm always impressed yeah. by what they do. You know, I, I was kind of on the fence about Pixar Pier in general, um, you know, and a lot of the things that they changed about it are really subtle. But when you kind of stand back and you let it soak in, they all make really good yeah. aesthetic and artistic sense. And they, they play to the story. They play to the mood of the whole place. And so, you know, with adding an extra element like VR, I think the possibilities are almost limitless. Have either one of you uh, done Pandora? Uh, no, no, I haven't yet. No. So that one's like a, it's basically like soaring. Mm -hmm. You're kind of in front of a much bigger screen. You're much closer. So it's a little more intense, obviously, mm -hmm. than soaring. But um, I think there are still things they can do with the, with the ride vehicles themselves, like with how we're riding these things that can, I don't know, maybe in the interim, before we get that technology of, of augmented reality or, or, or virtual reality. Like, just what they're doing with the Tron coaster. I think yeah. that's phenomenal. And it mm -hmm. seems like a very simple... Like, they've changed how you ride a roller coaster. Yeah. They haven't redefined the roller coaster, which is that you're sitting forward. Right, right. And that's amazing, right? Yeah. Like, you, I've heard only great things about that. So if we could do something like that, if that were a speeder bike ride or something like that, yes. like, there's little yeah. things like that that you can do, I think, without having to, like, reinvent vent the ride you know mm -hmm. like I think there are things like, that's why I miss like I've always wanted a speeder bike right that seemed to me <laughs> yeah. like the most well, like, and I just was... wanted the speeder bike that was at DCA during Electronica did you ever see that no oh man when they had Electronica no, the, the light cycle oh the light cycle yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry I, I started thinking about Tron because you yeah, started thinking about you. Right. yeah you talked about the right. roller coaster and I thought oh man I really want that I, I <laughs> yeah, needed that in my life yeah everybody listening that heard me confuse that is going to be yelling at yes. their speakers right about now. So, you go! You already said you weren't a big star. <laughs> you cleared it. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. But yeah, I, I would love to, I mean, I don't know. Were there things from Star Wars that you wanted to to see as a as a as a ride or an attraction that that we haven't I mean I'm I'm with you in that I really wanted Galaxy's Edge to be a Star Wars location that you know has history already yeah. they're trying to build new history yes. with it and a new story and it's it's a new part of the canon which is also new right. I mean you know whatever so I, I do kind of wish that you know the original plans um, long ago that that Star Wars land you know kind of taking over Tomorrowland mm -hmm. incorporated um, a speeder ride through 
through Endor. Right. And that, to me, is still... I still want that. Yeah. You know, I, I am so sad that that never came to fruition uh, because I think as, you know, old school Star Wars fans, there's nothing better than that scene. Yep. Just zipping through there and stormtroopers bouncing off trees. And I mean, that would be so exciting to me. And, and I still wish they had, a you know, um, more of a speeder scene in uh, Star Tours. Mm-hmm. You know, they have that one um, that's on, um, what is it, Kashyyyk? Porcupine? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's pretty good. But, like, I would do a whole ride just of that. Like, I, I just think that's phenomenal. It's so iconic, um, especially among Star Wars fans. So, yeah, I, I would love to see It seems like a no-brainer. Yeah, it, like, it really does. Like a Radiator Springs kind of thing, where you kind of right. go through it maybe a little slower, get some story, mm-hmm. animatronic Ewoks or yes. something, or and then it takes off at the end. It just mm-hmm. seems like that would be fantastic. And not, again, not redefining anything. Right. It's just using what they already have right. to give you that experience. It seems like that type of attraction, though, would be more suitable for, like, um, the Pandora one. Mm-hmm. Because there's just a space restriction. Sure. You know, and I think especially at Disneyland, that's the primary thing that they run into. There's The what? footprint is running out yeah. fairly quickly. I mean, it could even be one of these shooter attractions, you know, like Buzz Lightyear or yeah, Midway yeah. Mania where you've got blasters and you're trying to take out stormtroopers that are on their own speeders right. and they keep score and you know that, it's yeah. all, I mean because you look at all the space that Autopia takes up and like, that's a whole area there that they yes. can just put in speeders yeah. yes. it's already got a force but boy people would go insane <laughs> I know, I know. it would have to be a cute speeder yeah because <laughs> they can't take up the entire length or else there's only going to be three on the course <laughs> I mean you know the, the, the greatest things that they've done in the parks you know recently starting with Cars Land, mm-hmm. you know, you get to literally step into yes. that movie. And if you're familiar with the movie, you know where everything is. The first time you stepped in there, you know where to go because right. it's laid out just like the movie. You know, Pandora is similar. You know, you feel like you know that world because you saw the movie and you're actually there. And I think that's going to be the one slight disappointment about Galaxy's Edge is that we're stepping into a place that's going to be themed on that same level, probably even more, but it's an unfamiliar place. Right. It's brand new. Right. You know, they're going to have a cantina, but it's not the cantina from Tatooine. Right. And I think that is the only minor disappointment that I think a lot of people are going to feel initially. But I yes. think the theming is going to be well, I amazing. Well, I mean, I get, I, I totally get the concept. And I understand why they're going to, because it's, it's, it would be very restricting if it was just Tatooine. Yeah. And you can't do, well, here's Tatooine and then you walk over to Hawk. You know, I can see why there would be problems with those kinds of things. But if you look at something like Harry Potter World, if they said, oh, no, this isn't Hogwarts, but this is a school similar to Hogwarts. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, well, why don't you just make it Hogwarts? <laughs> yeah, right. That's kind of how I feel. Right. I get it. Like it, it frees them up to do a lot more stuff. Sure. And they don't have to go back and say, like, well, this wouldn't happen on Tatooine, so we can't have this ride, or you know, but I don't know. I just want to see. And maybe through some of these attractions we'll get to see. Like Star Tours takes mm-hmm. you to a lot of different places, but um, I still I, want I mean, to I feel like they're on. doing it backwards this time, though, because for the most part, we've always seen an attraction 
attraction based on a property that already exists. And I think what Disney's doing this time around is they are preparing you for a land that will be coming up in a future film. So they're priming you to become familiar with this location and the area, the inhabitants of that area, so that when you see it in the film, you already feel connected. And because of the backlash that's been happening with (laughs) these new films, I think they want to get this new generation familiar with the product before it goes out into the public. Yeah, and I think like like we were saying too is that can you imagine if they did an existing property, if they did say Tatooine, people would be nitpicking over absolutely everything. And could they settle on, well, why did you like that? Well, the cantina was much smaller than this, and this guy wasn't there. And you can't tell this story because that doesn't make sense. Right. You know, so that, again, that makes sense. And I don't don't fault them for doing what what they're doing. But, you know, like when you're in Florida and you see that ad at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You want more of that. You know, you want that feeling. I know we're going to get some of that, too, but you want to feel like you're at some of these places. I agree. So, like I was going to say about Pandora is I don't have a strong emotional tie to those films. So you can walk through it and be like, this is really amazing. I don't feel anything for this. I don't don't even know the names of the characters, really, you know? (laughs) But it was amazing what they were were able to accomplish. So I think that I'm a little worried about that. Yeah. Like you were saying, like walking through a Star Wars and being like, well, it does kind of feel like... So Gavin posed a really interesting question earlier and and you gave a portion of the answer already but in general how how do you think the structure of Disney itself will change in the parks when like the Fox deal comes through for instance because Universal has a lot of those properties already in their park Mm -hmm. but are we going to see the Simpsons at a Disney park? Do you think they'll take it to that extreme? I feel like this deal was for uh, strategically to get specific things out of it and everything else just came with it right and I think I think they're gonna not want to dilute the brand by right. confusing it um, and they've got plenty to work with now. Right. I don't think they yeah. need a Anastasia ride you right. know like you got <laughs> so I feel like no I, I things can always change right like it, it, down the line, something might become bigger that we're not predicting is going to be bigger or that maybe is more associated with the company now that it's Disney and it wasn't beforehand. Yeah. You've got to be open to that. But I don't see them wanting... I, I can't even think of what it would be at this point that they'd want to... Like, I the mean, Simpsons the, have the such Marvel a Marvel stuff, right? I think. Right, I they want being that incorporated stuff. And into, I think there's even like, Star Wars really stuff. Star Wars yeah. stuff is tied up with them. Well, it's and, so strange, too, because, like, the Disney owns Star Wars, but yet 20th Century Fox owns the fanfare and the opening sequence. So. New Hope, right? Didn't they own the yeah. yeah the original trilogy or just just New Hope? I think they've got maintained the licenses. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Like I think that's why it was never on Netflix, right? But the other ones were. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. So are we gonna see a castle in front of those movies anytime soon? Oh, that would be interesting. If you really wanted to spark well, up the Star Wars community, and that else, would be. Right? <laughs> I mean, just we used to see it for Pixar, yeah. But we still do. I mean, the, they did that specific oh, Pixar yeah, yeah, for yeah. The Incredibles, That's yeah. Right. That's right. Um, but like the Lucas stuff. Yeah, just the Lucas art. Yeah, sheen that comes across. Not even that. a Disney thing. So right. I'm thinking. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. I, I think anything is possible. Maybe there's something like you know we have no idea that they have in mind for. Mm-hmm. So, but it seems very strategic. Like they they want to own these things yeah. outright. Like let's just 
have and I think one. I think um, you know we talked about the Disney Toon Studio uh, last episode. Not to keep going back to that, but um, you know we brought up the fact too that they'll be getting some animation studio properties from Fox as well. They have Blue Sky, and Blue Sky is a really good animation studio mm-hmm. right now. And so maybe that is part of the reason why they're shuttering Disney Toons because they're getting this other entity that oh, maybe for whatever reasons is a bigger directions they've got more possibilities with that i have no idea but it's interesting to think about those strategic decisions uh, my first thought was that this was all for the streaming service that mm-hmm. this is just more content for them to have on the streaming service mm-hmm. uh, i mean can you imagine just having all of the simpsons right on their streaming right service? that to me seems the, the biggest advantage uh, but beyond that like mixing it in with the disney stuff yeah it could happen, but I don't. I can't see where it makes sense. Well, that, like you said, it dilutes the product, right? Because it makes sense to have all the Disney films, and then there's all the special collector tins that you know they would collect all the Mickey Mouse cartoons, all the Goofy cartoons, all the Donald cartoons. But once you start throwing Buffy the Vampire Slayer in there, it's how does that fit within the Disney culture? Well, even with Pixar, like how do you feel about that? Like I, I still think of them as very separate. I, I, I mean, too. I know that there is cross pollination and there's yeah. people working on both and mm-hmm. you know but I still think of them as very separate studios oh, sure. and I would hate for them to get rid of the Pixar distinction you yeah. know that it's a separate studio I agree I, I think it's it's interesting that a studio that both of those studios have developed you know, such a, a recognizable look and style and feel. Mm-hmm. Like, you know within five minutes if you're watching Pixar or Disney. Most people yeah. do. My wife can't tell the difference. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, yeah, she has no idea. She can't even tell if it's hand-drawn or CG. Like, she, <laughs> no visual capabilities I whatsoever. I saw that the most was Zootopia for some reason. <clears throat> Everyone thought that was Pixar. Everyone I talked to was yeah. like, Pixar. Well, everybody thinks Wreck-It Ralph is Pixar. Yeah. You know, that's, that's, the, that's one of the big ones. And, you know... Uh, I, I I would hate if you know they got rid of one and just did yeah. know, Disney one. or just did Pixar yeah. because yeah there's also um, merit to that creative competition mm-hmm. as well I think they spur each other on to further greatness especially where the Disney animation studio is concerned I think they yeah. really had to step up their game uh, to compete with Pixar and I think they did a good job of it mm-hmm. so definitely but I, I like the thought of it being separate and I I think like with the Fox stuff like I, I don't think I'll ever think of The Simpsons as part of Disney, even right. if they were to try to push it that way, which I don't think they would. But I, I don't think it wouldn't make sense. It yeah. just wouldn't make sense. I think right. Disney is really pushing to lessen that gap, though, because with putting up Pixar Pier and you know the Incredible Summer yeah. on the East Coast, I think Disney just wants that that gap to be smaller between Disney and Pixar, between Disney and Pixar. I mean, I think they're in the fold. Like, I think they're part yeah. of the family, if you sure. will. But I, I would not want them to be sort of interchangeable. Um, or, I agree. Or, like, even, so with that Wreck-It Ralph preview, mm-hmm. even seeing Merida in there, I was kind of like, eh. The, the yeah. princesses, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. you know, exciting, and I get why it's fun and exciting to right. see them all together like that, like dolls. But I was like, eh, it's 
kind of separate. <laughs> there was a weird disconnect when I saw that because, like you said, th- there is a clear distinction between Disney Animation Studios and Pixar. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at, uh, let's say, Frozen, for instance, yeah. Elsa has that classic chin that you see in Disney Animation 2D, right? There's a very specific style that the princesses are drawn. But then when you saw the princesses in the Wreck-It Ralph trailer or Ralph Breaks the Internet, they break that style a little bit. Yeah, they're a little fuller. They, the Wreck-It Ralph. Right. Universe. But yeah. it's not necessarily Pixar and it's not necessarily Disney Animation. It, well, it's it's even removed another degree because that is basically all of the Disney princess line, which yeah. is also off model. Right. And so now it's that being redesigned to fit the Wreck-It Ralph universe. Right. So yeah, you got like several degrees of separation from their original character design. And I agree. It, in the first couple of times I watched that trailer, it's like... The response oh, seems to be pretty weird. good, though. So oh, I love it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, no one, there's no upset people. It doesn't <laughs> seem like. I'm curious when the film comes out. I think that's a longer scene, uh, and so I'm, I'm curious to see what the yeah. reaction is. I hope so. I hope it's not one of those like little nuggets that yeah. that's all we're gonna get of it. I almost feel like we saw the entire scene already in the preview. <laughs> yeah, I hope that's not the case. I really do hope that it's a longer scene, but they. I think they've released two versions of it where Vanellope's a little bit more... Um, she's more involved with the process of, really? That's a princess? Oh, yeah. have you this? Have you that? Uh, but I almost feel like we saw the entire scene already. Maybe. I, I get a little precious about the classic stuff. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, it's like the further you go back, the more sort of specific I get about yeah. the portrayal of these characters. So, like, you know, maybe we're having still fun with, like, Rapunzel. Then you get into, like, Ariel and Belle. You're like, well, take it easy. Yeah. <laughs> then you get to Cinderella, and you're like, that's not Cinderella. Right? That's, that's Cinderella. not my Cinderella. <laughs> that's how I feel about that's Belle. Hilarious. That's my princess. Who's your Disney princess? Uh, probably... Probably Belle, because Beauty and the Beast is my favorite Disney film. Oh, so mine too. I probably have to go with mine that. Mine too. But I, I will say the more recent stuff, I really like Rapunzel, and it, it's yeah. one that grew yeah. on me. Like when I saw the film, I wasn't like, "This is my favorite film," but seeing it over and over again, like mm-hmm. I can really watch that one over and over again, yeah. more so than say Frozen. It's so good. Or you know, when I, Princess of the Frog. When I first saw Tangled. Uh, I liked the film and I was all on board. I felt the same way that you did, but I didn't feel that I connected with the film until I heard I See the Light. Yeah. And when they sang that song, I was in. I was completely I think it's in. it's her voice acting that really is that film. Too. Yeah. Like her performance as, as uh, Rapunzel really is the main thing I think that, that for me, uh, that's what resonates. Because... Yeah, the story is okay. Right. It's not a crazy, complicated story or, or right. particularly deep. You can kind of see it coming from a while back. But um, yeah, I don't know why. I really like that film now. Like, yeah, it's amazing. I, I, you must remember that that uh, the trailer was a little controversial. That mm-hmm. they put that yes. song behind it, and I'm like, oh no, like this <laughs> looks awful. Uh, right. So I think I went into it with really low expectations too. But uh, it's become one of my favorite films for sure. Nice. So like when Cinderella in that trailer though breaks that slipper that's yeah. kind of when it lost me right i'm yeah. like okay well we're just going for a joke here like yeah 
you know, yeah. and Pocahontas looks a little off. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, they all they all do. They all do. But we're not going to nitpick, right? We're not going to nitpick. So I, I want to um, ask one more. Go back to the parks and ask one more park sure. question of all three of us, actually. And it, it kind of ties into Star Wars and Galaxy's Edge, and the fact that it's not an actual location from one of the films. You know, mm-hmm. it's a new location. It brings to mind to me the concept that I fear might be lost at the Disney parks now, and that is that every new attraction or feature of the parks has to be tied to an IP. And I don't think we'll ever get a big Thunder Mountain Railroad again or a Pirates of the Caribbean. You know, now that's tied to a property, but it wasn't originally, you know, Haunted Mansion. These, These are the things to me, I mean, the core of my Disney fandom is the parks. That's what ignited my imagination more than anything as a kid. More so than animation. Yes. When I came to the parks for the first time, it absolutely opened my mind to an entirely different level of art and creation. And that's where my passion lies, and I love it. And I love that they just created things just for the park that told a story, that took you to a place, that gave you an experience and showed you some magic. Had nothing to do with a cartoon or a movie or anything we know before. Yeah. And I think that... You know, st- I, I always want to call it Star Wars Land because everything Every, is something land. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the fact that don't worry, I was correct him. I was correct him. It's gonna drive me nuts for years. But Galaxy's Edge kind of gives us a little bit of that. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I don't. I mean, even with Pixar Pier, they're retheming attractions that weren't tied to a property to now be tied to a property. Right. And I feel like. I, I don't want that to be the sole direction that everything goes now for Disney Parks because I think it it leaves or it cuts out an entire world of possibilities. Yeah. You know, and and I just hope that we can still look forward to attractions that are not IP based. I agree. I think most hardcore Disney fans agree. Um, I, I you look at something like Mystic Manor mm-hmm. and that is hopeful. Sure. Um, I don't know that I don't know. Like, do you think something like that would be a hit here? Like, does it just need enough time to take off? If the attraction is like Soren is not a right. character base or a film right. based thing, I'm surprised that that hasn't turned over to Soren over Tatooine or Soren. You know what I mean? Like, well, give it time. The, the yeah. reimagination of it, um, I thought was a good thing. You know, when they changed it to Soren over the world or around the world, whatever it is, uh, I think it needed some some new life sure. and and some updates, and I think that's great. And if if that can be what they do moving forward, you know, maybe every five to ten years they update that, then maybe. But I agree, it's it's surprising that something like that persists. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still it's, a very popular attraction. Yeah. It always has a long wait time. I think we just live in a different world, though, because when you think about the history of the park itself, when Disneyland was being developed, Walt didn't have these properties. He didn't own them. He didn't have really anything to work off of. He had this idea of this land, and he relied on the artists like Herb Ryman to help him develop what his vision was. Mm-hmm. And he already had specific things in mind. Like, he always knew he wanted that haunted house at the end of Main Street. 
And so that's really how the park developed, right? But when you, like on the business standpoint, when you see what all these other parks are doing, like Universal buying all these properties, parks in Dubai that have all these, like the Minions and DreamWorks and everything. We are, I think, at a pivotal point in the theme park industry where I don't think we're going to see a lot more original stuff because people want to see the IP-based things because that's what brings the park money. Mystic Manor is an outlier and if they did create more stuff like that i would be super happy about it but because again we go back to the footprint of disneyland itself right Mm -hmm. when you think of shanghai and hong kong disney there is room to expand in those parks there's certainly room to expand in florida but disneyland has very little space to grow now so they have to rely on retheming with these properties that are very popular especially with the children the children will dictate how disney themes going forward because that's who's going to bring in the money parents will buy their children what that primary property is and i think frozen was really what established that trend not that we haven't seen this in the parks you know we we haven't seen new attractions in a really long time but i think frozen was really that point where the disney company may have decided you know what we're just going to have to start bringing this really into the parks and really start using our intellectual properties and anything that we can acquire in the parks going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it is, you know, like everyone would guess, it's all financial. Like, it seems like it's all financial-based sure. and what will give this... I mean, even, you know, with Guardians of the Galaxy taking over the Twilight Zone theme, which, granted, is a dated property to, to have, or I don't know what the copyrights were yeah. with that either, but uh, <laughs> who's to say that uh, Guardians is still going to be relevant 20 absolutely. years from now. Right. Absolutely. You know, are you going to feel still feel the same way whereas something more generic like the, the submarine ride which was kind of based on uh, some uh, property but not not as hardcore as the other stuff. Mm-hmm. It's interesting to see that they did have fantasy land and that they kept the property stuff for the most part to fantasy land. Yeah. Right. And That's the true. rest was supposed to represent, you know, there's a little bit of Zorro or David Crockett in that. Yeah. But that is still like historical. Yeah. Right. So it's interesting that that's how he separated it originally that anything that would be based on sort of a property it seemed like was tucked into fantasy right and not into these other these other places but i think you're right i think if they're going to invest this much unless like soren the technology dictates a ride but even then i still feel like they'd be like well let's not just make it a ride let's make it a spider-man ride yeah you know if we're gonna do it let's make it based on it so i think you're right i think it is we're probably past that yeah but if they could do it on some small level or even like keep epcot a little purer sure I think like they, it seems like they can experiment or do other things and still have that feeling but the big ones like you said like pirates and stuff I don't think yeah. I don't think we'll get anything that especially on that, that scale yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think I think you hit it on the head Hazen and I think that on the parks level the tipping point was actually the world of Harry Potter I think once that happened and the success of it yeah. the theme park industry changed forever they're the first outside company that made Disney step up their theme park game. Nobody else outside of Disney had ever pushed them you know, to greater heights. And so the, I see that as a good thing. You know, it goes back to the creative competition idea. Right. I think it's great. I love mm-hmm. that they're pushing each other to new heights, you know. Because of that, we got Cars Land and Pandora, and we're getting two Galaxy's Edges. I yeah. think, too, with the sort of 
failure of the original version of California Adventure, mm -hmm. which was pretty not too yeah. themed, right? It was right. just wasn't property based. Right. And Sauron is probably the only thing that has survived. What is uh, Grizzly River Run? Grizzly yeah. River Run, right? Um, and the one in Shanghai too is a different. Is not as a non-property based mm -hmm. water right kind yeah. of thing too. So I don't know. I mean, there there are signs. Maybe it's the Asian parks that will take these risks. Maybe they're yeah. more open to it. But I think for the I mean, American Tokyo parks, Disney Sea for sure. Yeah. Even though their new expansion is all property based. Yeah, yeah. But all three lands are interesting yeah. properties. Yeah, I'm so excited about. Yeah. This. Really? Have you gone to any of no, those? No, okay. I want to. Like for me, the Tokyo Disney Resort is probably the top because of Disney Sea. Yeah. I, I think that just looks amazing. So, but of course, I want to see Pirates and the Tron Coaster Shanghai. in Shanghai. Yeah. Of course. Pirates is definitely at the top of my list. Yeah. yeah. Because Pirates, I can't even figure it out. Like, you know, you watch know, it on watch um, YouTube, and I'm like, I don't even know what's going on here. But all projections. Yeah. All yeah. projections. Totally. But, but so well blended in. Yeah. Like, it's not just a hole in the wall and there's a movie yeah. happening. It's like, that's how we should be doing it. Yeah. 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 On so that. many of those ride-through videos, you hear people gasping. I know. When the ships start going up. Yeah. And, and they're, they're oh going gosh. into the water. Yeah. 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 I would love to experience that. Firsthand. I do you have a sense of the disconnect between the Asian parks, like what they're able to do? Is it just a money thing? Are they able to well, spend more? Well, a lot of, of it stuff? is. Yeah, they have a, you know, they have huge investments from um, companies on their side. You know, Disney isn't footing that whole bill. Right. Yeah. It's part of their park budget, um, but they don't have to foot the whole bill. Like they're they're um, the entities that own the portions of the park that they do. <laughs> um, you know, they put up tons of cash. But they must be seeing a return. Absolutely, on this absolutely. That's why they went instantly into expansion mode for Shanghai because of the success of it, and they've already planned huge expansions. You look at Tokyo and what they were able to do with that Pooh's Honey Hunt, and how we have a very similar ride, but so very different. Right. Like, why can't we just elevate that yeah. simple dark ride and just do some really interesting I agree. things with it? So I agree. I it's think that outside starting investment to money, think yeah. outside the box, though. You know, they they turned um, Snow White into something completely different in Florida. That's you know, true. and I would love them to do that with some of the things they have here. Yeah, I know that um, a couple of the dark rides in Fantasyland are really starting to look dated and yeah. of a certain time, which is kind of part of its charm. It is. Yeah, I agree. But, like but they did a good job plussing Alice. I, think. I totally agree yeah. with that. I, I I feel like that's the best dark ride in Fantasyland. I think Peter Pan's really good, but. I think Alice in Wonderland they hit it out of the park. Yeah. yeah. I think you for go the across the other side though, and you got Snow White and Pinocchio, and I feel like especially where Pinocchio is oh. concerned, yeah, it lacks, and that hurts me because that's my favorite Disney movie, yes. and I feel like it doesn't get a lot of notice or respect um, to especially the younger audiences today, and I think that that attraction's not. You know, doing it any favors, mm -hmm. and I wish that they would do something along the lines of what they did with Snow White in Florida. Uh, you know, like a boat ride or something with a lot more excitement to it and adventure to it, which I find Pinocchio a thrilling adventure. Yeah, and I think they could do an attraction that would do it justice. Mm -hmm. You know, you mentioned the parks like uh, Hong Kong and Shanghai. I think the culture there to try new things is much different than it is here because technology changes 
changes so quickly, I think the parks in that part of the world are more apt to change and are more likely to want to experience something like that. Mm. Where here, it's more of a comfort level thing. We don't like change as much. So when change happens, mm -hmm. people just freak out. Yeah. Right. Or it has to be the right kind of change. Yeah. <laughs> like comfortable true. change or something. Or... Because, yeah, I think, like, the Tron ride, I don't even care that it's Tron. <laughs> Not really. I do. Do you? Uh, yes. See, I don't have a big... I, it it makes me. sense, and it looks fantastic. Yeah. The lighting and everything looks mm. fantastic. But, I mean, if that came here or something else, I'd be like, I, that's fine. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I ride feel like it, it stinks that we've not had a Tron attraction. I'm a huge Tron nerd. How and come? I love Have you seen the films? Yes, yes, I own them. Um, Did you like the original The though? original one was one of those things I saw as a kid, yeah. and I just I believe that. fell in love with the aesthetic of it, and the, the really clever filmmaking magic that they did on that, you know, with just simple things like, sure. you know, glowing paint and, you know, just weird early CG techniques yeah. and and you know the textures don't match up and whatever right. but the the aesthetic of it the design work on it is just amazing and it, it just blew me away and then when they did um, Tron Legacy I just it was it was no no it was <laughs> it was as much eye candy to me as any yeah, other no, film I've it ever looks seen fantastic and to me that's 90% of anything I watch is the aesthetic I'm looking at it for the visuals for the artwork yeah. for whatever you know the story is very much secondary to me and then the music and you know, I'm in it for the visuals. And to sure. me, like, Tron, yeah. That, I want to live in that universe. That is so interesting. <laughs> I never saw Tron as a kid. Really? Well, yeah. You didn't Star Wars I, as a kid either. Yeah. The, you watched I, Star Wars for the first time like three years ago. So yeah, there's a lot of films. I yeah. should have known this before. Sorry. On this. <laughs> <laughs> Disclaimer. Yeah. yeah, there was a lot of films that I didn't grow up watching that I think for many people were really pivotal yeah. at shaping the way that they are as an adult. So I show those films to my kids now, not necessarily to help shape them as an adult, but to shape them as an adult, right? right? So because there's a practicality. The world. <laughs> yeah. Watching Everything's Star Wars. Well, now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the practicality of how they do did a lot of things in those older films I think is a lesson that we can learn in like for instance with Pirates of the Caribbean mm -hmm. the new scene have you seen the new scene in Pirates of the Caribbean mm -hmm. where yes. that, right, right yes well no no yeah the skeleton yeah I mean yeah. having a simple mirror with like a That's split I animatronic yes. I mean that is magical I think that is the challenge of Disneyland is to how you make this new technology look lo-fi right yeah. uh, because I think it's too much screens now in general. Yeah. So if you can do more of that, the mix of the practical and the and the sort of new technology, I think that's the trick for Disneyland. Right. Like we don't want it all new technology. You get like a dark ride. You have to kind of mix it in. Yeah. And so that it feels it feels like Disneyland. And that's why I think those older films are important because they teach you a lot of that, especially when you start looking at some of the behind the scenes that are on the DVDs and stuff. Now, I think we rely so much on the digital aspect of it that whenever we see like was it the Lion King that's using an actual Mufasa animatronic uh, yes it's yeah. going to use a combination of CG but they built an animatronic Mufasa right and I, I think multiple characters will Why be 
practical. And so oh, really? see, yeah. yeah. And so that I think is really important because it brings a different sense of realism. And if you can apply, not just to the way that uh, films are made or animation is made, but those techniques can translate into real life. And I think those are skills that will just get you ahead that a lot of people are lacking. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, it is like now you think surely there's a way to do everything. Yeah. You know, like nothing like before we were okay. Like we understood how lo-fi a lot of this was mm -hmm. like watching Job of the Hat. You're like, yes, I understand that that is a puppet. Right. But I'm going to, I'm okay with that right. in this case because they've done it so well. Mm -hmm. It's not like we're convinced. Now you kind of can't tell where things sure. are, are, you know, you just assume, well, they can just make it, right? They yeah. can truly just make it. There's, I think there's less uh, about the craft of it because mm -hmm. you just assume everything is digital. Yeah. Right? Right. You can make everything, whether that's uh, an ocean or or a, a creature you know it's all the same like we can do more digital actors now and stuff that right. you wouldn't even know that's what's happening yeah like how they dropped in they took out kevin spacey from that film like right. that's crazy yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, so it's i think any it's kind of that anything's possible now so you don't have to look too closely now because everything is is that way right or it's this 90 percent 10 percent mixture right like when you look at the behind the scenes of black panther you know they have practical suits on but it's only like half a suit everything else is a digital costume and it's a digital set it's insane what well, they can like, do. How do you feel about that? Like with um, with Rogue One, how they put Tarkin in there. Yeah. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Like like uh, people I went to who aren't big Star Wars fans, they had no idea. Like we know sure. that he's yeah. dead, right. so we know that they did something to get this character back. But for people who don't know, they thought, oh, I didn't even know that that was a CG character. Yeah. I I thought it was neat. <laughs> I mean, I I was impressed. I yeah. was like, whoa. That's pretty good. Like, Looking pretty close, yeah, right? Pretty good. I was a little less with yeah. Princess Leia. Right. I mean, she she was close, but not as close as Tarkin. I'm like, why did they light her so evenly? Yeah, it was, it like, was really it was give it a little glamour shot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Looked like a dream sequence it, all a of a sudden. Bit, yeah. A little bit. A little bit. I don't know. It's kind of that Ian Malcolm question about they spent too much time asking right. if they could and never asked themselves if right. they should. Exactly. And... I mean, I can kind of go either way on that one. I, yeah. I thought they pulled it off well enough. And you, you see them for just small moments. It's sure. not like, you know, it's Jar Jar Binks walking around for half the movie. <laughs> um, you know, it's 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 a glimpse here and there is, yeah. is what you get. You yeah. know, especially when you're looking at him from behind, which you see him the first time from behind. And it's like, yeah. Oh, that's that's a person standing there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I I can see the criticisms of it, and you know, I, I, it was neat, but maybe it wasn't necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was necessary, though, to be able to tell that part of the story, because if you're telling an origin story and you're trying to really incorporate the past into the future, it was kind of pivotal to have them as I, a part I of the film. I agree in that specific case. Is it is it I, I don't know if it's a big question. <clears throat> right. So they did some stuff with like Jeff Bridges and Tron, right, where yeah. they age him down, yeah, I was gonna mention that, yeah. uh, which is interesting. And mm -hmm. like, is that the future? Do you think of that? Like, I think so. Is I mean, possible, they're doing right? it with Samuel L. Jackson in the next. In uh, Captain Marvel, yeah, they in they're de-aging him. Yeah. yeah, Michael Douglas and Ant-Man. They That's did the right. same thing. Yeah. So I mean, I guess this is the thing. Now we don't have. So why did they cast 
um, what's his name in Solo? Why didn't they just de-age Harrison Ford? <laughs> go. If, maybe he just doesn't want to so do it. That's that is why. Not a can of worms. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. So it, it it's interesting, but again, it's I think at every film they have to ask, should we do this? Like, is does it benefit the story? With Tarkin, I think you could have you didn't have to have a full face shot of him up close. Right. You know, he could have been on a communication screen or something, and it would have been right. You know, perfectly believable. You know, hologram. if you have it really, yeah, yeah a hologram yeah. or something. You know, and, and you have a little scratchiness to it, like all those Star Wars communications yeah. Yeah. did. That would be totally believable. So, I agree that he's necessary to the story. But do you need a full close up of yeah. his face? I mean, it seemed like a challenge, right? Because I right. think everyone was like, they have to be in this film. Yeah. You can't just ignore. Yeah, I think they wanted it as a wow factor. Yes, they definitely. really did. It was definitely. a special effect that they wanted to wow us with, and it, you know, instead of a space battle or you know something big like that, it was a character. Right. And I think, I mean, when I saw it, I was like, ooh, that's but I was scrutinizing it like crazy. Sure, like, I was sure. I was looking at Absolutely. it so hard. Like the first time I watched it, I didn't hear anything. You said. <laughs> I was looking so closely at the texture right. and what they were doing with the eyes, and you know, is this kind of a real person in the mix? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. Interesting stuff but I, it is a little scary like what we might not it, need actors then in the future yeah well right. it's interesting that you say that because one of the first 3d projects that really got me interested in 3d animation was believe it or not the final fantasy movie oh, and if believe. you remember that Very and fantastic. and i remember watching that film and just thinking they look human enough that i'm i'm okay with this story mm-hmm. but they're not completely human where i know that they're human mm-hmm. and i think tarkin you, we talked about this earlier where i think they're te- Testing different things yeah. in in this sense, Tarkin was a test, right? Because the Uncanny Valley is a real thing, mm-hmm. and Tarkin, I think, was one of the first animation tests where it passed the Uncanny Valley. Most people were able to watch Tarkin in that film and not realize that there was something just slightly off that made it uncomfortable, that made them feel this is an animation. Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, that was a real person. Like sure. you said, it could have been a person that they just kind of digitally added a few. Right. Things to right. versus this entire digitized person, because it is a little jarring. Like they put him at the end of Sith, like mm-hmm. like a younger version, supposed to be a younger Tarkin, mm-hmm. right? That's kind of and that is a little jarring too, right? right? You're like, well, we know what they're trying to do there, yeah. And then is it like too much makeup? Is it too much aesthetics? <laughs> you know, like so. I think that what they did in Rogue One was more interesting and more yeah. convincing, but um, yeah, it's a little. It poses a funny question, I think, if there is even a moral question to that. I think eventually people will care. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think it what becomes... What about resurrecting you, like, for a whole movie? Well, that's what I was like going to say right now. Like, a movie is going to be really... I think, you know, right. like... Yeah, if, if it served the purpose to tell a blip in the story, I personally think it is okay. Yeah. But if you were to, let's say, digitize an, you know, 80% of a movie with Carrie Fisher in it, I would not be okay with with that right because all of a sudden you're just saying that you never needed her you know <laughs> like you can digitize her and you could do whatever you want with her so right. i think that's where it turns more into a moral issue because now you're benefiting and cashing in on somebody that is no longer there mm-hmm. probably take out the extras first right i better just start replacing right. a lot <laughs> yeah <laughs> the smaller parts <laughs> yeah how do you this is off topic but i kind of want to go there how do you feel about the princess leia thing how do you think they, they will handle that in this Gosh. you know after watching uh the last jedi 
I honestly have no idea. Yeah. I'm because I think we all went into that movie with at least some level of preconceived notion about her end. Mm-hmm. You know, it had to happen. Or that they were going to set it up. Or that they were yeah. going to set it up. Yeah. And it didn't. It did? And, it were, and then it didn't. And, and then it didn't, <laughs> yeah. And, and we're left just completely unsatisfied. We, we almost all wanted some sort of a closure. And in a kind of morbid way, we wanted it on screen. Yeah. And... Yeah, I feel like that is... I was fine with the movie. I didn't have as many problems as most of the people did. I thought it was nice to finally have a truly funny Star Wars movie. I liked the comedy. Um, I feel like every major franchise needs to have at least one funny one, and I think this is it. And you know, Really? Jar Jar didn't do that for you? No, not as much. <laughs> yeah, Back of the Wall is pretty hilarious. <laughs> it's in the middle, so we know that it's just really setting up for the, the final installment with the next film. Right. So I didn't have a whole lot of requirements of it except for this one theme yeah. like we needed that that moment you know I yeah. feel like the, the fandom needed it mm-hmm. it really did and I think that we were kind of ripped off on that level but I mean so who knows time jump would you be happy with the time jump I would be fine with that I'm like, how, do they, how else are they going to I do. I can't. There's a I, lot of there's a lot of people that think it's just going to be in the scroll, right? The opening crawl, right. or whatever they call it. But that it. even and seems a little too. That's a major ripoff. Quick. Yeah. yeah, I don't think that. I would, would be rather good them do all. funeral. Sorry, the funeral or something. That's or, a good idea. You know, something yeah, where like after they she have came to back, acknowledge it. Yeah, like, they can't just yeah. like and she came back from her state, and but she didn't survive it overall, right? Just something to acknowledge that. Yeah, and maybe during that opening sequence, if it's a funeral sequence you could do flashbacks to yeah you know yeah. how it happened what went down or something like right. that that could be I could it seems be like they have to pay tribute somehow more so yeah. than they have to yeah you know they really do anytime I watch a trailer I I'll watch it and then I watch the film and I always feel wow I already saw this this there there is nothing that was surprising about this in the film this is the first time in a really long time where I watch the film and I think wow the trailer completely missed led me because every single scene in the trailers led me to believe that Kylo was going to end it for her and so that's just how it was structured in my brain and every scene that I saw when that scene came up in the film I was like oh this is it this is how they're going to do it I was confused I'm like well that's pretty good that they kept this under wraps yeah (laughs) Yeah. they didn't say because they were so adamant about saying she does not die in this film right and so that's why yeah I was I was surprised but then again immediately concern like yeah wait a second <laughs> yeah right it, he made a lot of choices he took a lot of risks and where he didn't take the risk was giving us that closure yeah. and i think that's that's the big miss of the film yeah well we'll see how much course correcting yeah <laughs> we, we shall see i'm excited like you said earlier i mean i'm a big star wars fan too and i just find the star wars universe really fun yep. and interesting and neat to look at you know we kind of settle into that cozy like oh i know these spaceships i know these lightsabers and who's good and who's bad it's it's kind of it's a nice place to revisit over and over and over and over again 
And so when they give us new content, I'm excited. Have you seen the trailer for the new Clone Wars cartoon? I just, yeah, just watched that, actually. That might be interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm interested to see... Were you a fan what, of the original Clone Wars series? Uh, yes. I liked the, the Gendy Tartakovsky micro-series the best. Yes. It was yes. unbelievable. More of that. Yes, I agree. <laughs> um, but I, I do like the, the Clone Wars. I thought that was a good series. Yeah. I haven't watched it in its entirety. It went on to... It grew into I think the first few seasons may have been a little shaky. Yeah, I agree. and that first movie was not great, but yeah. um, it grew into a good, mm-hmm. uh, interesting story. So I'm excited that they're gonna. Did they say that they're gonna wrap it up, or is it just gonna continue? I feel I like get that I think it's a continuation. Just continue where they. Yeah. I feel like they kind of indicated though that they are working towards an end. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. the Clone Wars didn't go on forever. Or didn't they? No. I mean, well, <laughs> we did have 11 seasons of MASH about the Korean conflict, which lasted two and a half years, so. So true. it's like leading up to New Hope? Or Rebels? No, it's... Oh, no. It's, uh, it's between two and three. Yeah. Right. So mm-hmm. it's building up to Sith. Right. That's right. But I just, I just get that little thrill when I see, you know, a Tie Fighter go across the screen. Yeah. Uh, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. it just, it just gets those Star Wars juices flowing. Have we so lost you completely? <laughs> Not completely. I mean, I've, like I said, I watch Rebels. I haven't seen Clone Wars, but my Star Wars fandom is growing because of my kids, <laughs> and that's really where I'm connecting with it. Like they have the Disney Infinity Games, and they play the Star Wars version, and because they watch these series, they're huge into Lego Star Wars, and I know that the story are different but because of all those connections and seeing their faces seeing them want the lightsabers pretending that they're these characters yeah that's where my star wars fandom is growing from they're playing the lego star wars games oh yeah they love them they're surprisingly hard yeah there they, they don't care that, that hot scene where you're uh-huh. gonna drag those balls yes. impossible like, yeah very they love it though we finished all the lego games <laughs> i don't think we finished that one. maybe that's what we should do we should record ourselves playing those games like LEGO Star Wars? yeah just that, post those on awesome. youtube <laughs> maybe they do those lego things where you're like they're falling but you have to grab all this stuff all the stuff yeah. yeah that's where i'm like constantly at the LEGO. <laughs> oh that's hilarious uh Man, we have been going on for almost two hours now. You will have a lot of editing to do. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, I've enjoyed the conversation that we've had, and it's hard to believe that we've almost been going for two hours yeah. because the conversation has just, you know, from one thing to another, it's just flowed really well. And uh, I loved having you on, Jared. Well, I would love you. to have you on again. Absolutely. Uh, so to. you have an open invitation to come on our podcast at any time. Well, when you get rid of Gavin, I'm your guy. <laughs> uh, well. Gavin, sorry, buddy. You're out. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, I mean, Gavin is a wonderful addition to the podcast, as is Melissa and AJ and VJ. The fandom, uh, just for Disney itself, resonates, I think, a lot more than it used to. And I appreciate that. And bringing people like you on that are, are not only Disney fans, but are Pixar, are Star Wars, and all these extensions of the Disney company, I think is important because, like you mentioned, Gavin, there's a lot of people that have a problem with those extensions being in the parks and being a part of the Disney family. But 
I mean, that's that's the wonderful thing about being a family, right? That yeah. not everybody fits just a certain mold. Like, <laughs> it, it, we're we're a dysfunctional family, but we're a happy family, and that's just how it works, right? So, on that note, uh, I think we're gonna end this episode. And uh, again, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to just Absolutely. hang out with us. Thank and you for having me. It's fun to talk about this stuff. <laughs> Do you have uh, anything that you want to end on, Gavin, before we close up for today? I don't think so. Um, I just want to give Jared a chance to, um, you know, tell the audience a little bit about um, what he does with his podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you have anything upcoming, I know you're doing a signing this week. By yeah. the time this episode comes out, it will have passed. But if you got anything coming up that you want to promote. Gosh. I, you know, I do. I don't know what I'm able to say yet. <laughs> That's totally fine. So uh, the best thing to do is probably follow me on Instagram, uh, jmariam on Instagram. And uh, I do the podcast with my friend Mark Morris, uh, the Square Co podcast where we talk about basically kind of the same stuff we talk about here a lot more art stuff too um so if you uh, like this kind of stuff maybe you'll like that tune in if you if you get a chance we're on itunes stitcher all the platforms so yeah that's where you can find me very Sweet. cool well all of the links to jared's uh projects including the squared co podcast his instagram uh will all be in the blog post for this episode so head on over to pocketeers.com slash 214 for more information we'll also put a couple of jared's instagram posts on there if you are not following him make sure that you are he posts some amazing things and if you haven't seen the pins that he has for sale check out the underwear that's my favorite <laughs> pin I like you that. you will think what underwear as a pin no trust me when you see it you will just fall in love with it seems awkward for me to say that but <laughs> I, I said it and i'm sticking to it I'm, I'm gonna own it it's out there i'm gonna own it again jared thank you so much for taking time to hang out with us today so until next week here is two beers cheers and mickey ears have a fantastic week everyone <laughs>